0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our message series, Soul Food, when a meal with Jesus was more than food, we'll unpack what Jesus has to teach us from the time He spent around the table. Here, in the ordinary, everyday sharing of a meal, we'll discover who Jesus came for, what it takes to be with Him, and how you and I can be changed by His greatness and grace. Alright, this morning, if you have a Bible, I going to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 this morning. And we're continuing our series. We've been walking through the book of Luke over the past several weeks. So Luke chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 1 here in just a moment. One of the things we've been talking about is as uh, we've been walking through this series entitled Soul Food, is we've been talking a lot about food. We've been talking about gathering together and meeting together uh, for meals. And we're, we've seen how Jesus uses meals as a method for his ministry as he carries out his mission. That he, he gathers people together around the table and uses that as an opportunity to speak truth into lives. And to challenge others and to just perpetuate the kingdom of God. And today we're going to continue to see that um, as he uses another meal uh, today. But I wanted to get you to, just to think When you gather together with your family or you gather together for a large meal, what's your favorite part about the meal? The food, okay, good, yeah, we like the food. We like the food, we like the fellowship, right? My favorite part of the family gathered meals is desserts. Sometimes, like when I'm in charge, when other people are in charge, they don't let me do this, but when I'm in charge, I eat my dessert first. Because it's my house, right? I can do whatever I want. I eat my dessert first. And, and I, I think as I get older, I'm going to continue on eating my dessert first. I love dessert, right? How many of you guys love dessert? Yeah. Well, specifically, I love pies. You can give me any cup of pie. You put a little bit of ice cream on it, and I'm a happy guy. I love pies. One of my favorite pies is a caramel apple pie. You know, when you get caramels like nice and thick on top, and it's like each pi- a piece of pie weighs about three pounds, and then you put the ice cream on top of it. Yeah, that's the kind of pie I like. You know, like the pie itself is your meal. You know, can't eat anything else besides that, right? Well, as we think about pies, there's one pie that I'm sure nobody loves humble pie. Right? Does anyone like eating humble pie? Right, right. it's a saying that's come about, right? The eating, someone eats humble pie. It's usually because that person has overestimated themselves or thought highly of themselves, more highly than they ought to. And situations or circumstances come and, and they get lowered down to where they really are. And we say that person has to eat a piece of humble pie. Nobody likes eating humble pie, right? Well, did you know that humble pie is actually a real thing? Did you know that? I learned this week that way back in the day, I'm not sure exactly what, years ago in Europe, right? Years ago in Europe, what would happen is that people that were rich would go to the butcher and they would buy the most expensive cuts. They would get the nice cuts of meat and then as you, after the nice cuts of meats were gone, they go to the little bit cheaper cuts of meat and those would go to like the middle class and then eventually there was just scraps left over like the intestines of animals and some small organs and things like that and that would be left over for those that were really poor and so the poor would go to the butcher and they would get these pieces that were left over and what they would make with those pieces that were left over was called humble pie because they were humbled, because they didn't have a whole lot. And so they had to eat pie, because that's all they could afford. I say all this today because as we're continuing this series, what we see Jesus doing is he's gathered together again for a meal. He's been invited to a meal with a high religious leader. And Jesus is going to use this opportunity to serve up a piece of humble pie to the Pharisees. He's going to help them see, hopefully help them see where they are really in position to who he is and how their position should change. And so this is one of those times where Jesus, a lot of times through his ministry, was a lot of times was on the defensive, right? People would come to him with questions. They'd come to him with concerns. And then Jesus would respond. But here we see in this opportunity, as Jesus is sitting around the table, Jesus goes on the offensive. Jesus comes in and he challenges the whole ideology and the whole way of living of these Pharisees. So together, before we dive in, let's look at the account together. I wanna read through the entire account and then we'll break it down. All right, chapter 14, beginning in verse one. It says, one Sabbath, when he went out to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man who had dropsy. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What I want us to see as we look at this passage together today is that humility is essential for anyone to enjoy Jesus. Humility is absolutely essential for everyone who enjoys, desires to enjoy Jesus. In this passage, what we see is these Pharisees had been puffed up with so much pride that they were unable to enjoy Jesus' presence. They saw Jesus as a potential threat or as someone that was stepping in the way of their plans, of their mission, and they wanted to do away with him. So what we see, first of all, we're going to see two truths from this passage. The first truth is that pride keeps us from enjoying Jesus. Pride in our hearts, having an overestimation of our own worth, having an overestimation of our own position, pride keeps us from enjoying Jesus. And so before we really understand the gravity of this encounter, let's for a moment understand who these Pharisees really were. Because we see them in Scripture, specifically in the New Testament. We see the Pharisees were were prominent almost in every other chapter of the New Testament. But who were these Pharisees? Well, I want you to know that the role of the Pharisee was not a God-ordained position. Remember in the Old Testament, there were were ordained positions that God gave. There was the, the office of priest, Right? That was the one that would represent God's, uh, God's people before God. There was the priests. right? There were prophets, those that were called of God to go and proclaim the messages of God. And then there were kings. Kings were there to represent God's people to the nations. Right? Those were ordained positions or offices that God had given his people. Pharisees were not given from the Lord. Actually, Pharisees, the the whole movement of Pharisees came during the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Remember in in your Bible, you should have like a blank page there between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's 400 years or so of difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Where God was silent, where he sent no more prophets. And yet God's people, as they are wandering around for that 400 years, they began to develop their own traditions. They began to develop their own systems of leadership. And one group were these Pharisees, which... which had begun to develop as a way of trying to segregate themselves from the rest of the Jewish nation so that they could live under strict laws. And over time, not only did they try to observe the Mosaic law, but they ended up adding over 600 more laws uh, to their lives and to their regiment so that they could live personal, pious lives. By the time the New Testament begins and the the time of Jesus here, we see that the Pharisees had become an influential religious sect within Judaism, within the Jewish culture. And in essence, what they had done is they had moved uh, worship away from the temple to the individual communities where they set up synagogues. And so they were trying to decentralize the Jewish practices so they no longer necessarily needed the temple, but they could be in each of the different communities. And in many of these synagogues, the Pharisees were the leaders of these synagogues. And so you can see by the time that Jesus comes on the scene that these Pharisees played a, a huge role in the lives of the Jewish life. So what we see here is Jesus now spending time with these Pharisees. It's interesting that by chapter 14, they still are allowing Jesus to sit with them at a meal. Because remember, Jesus' method of ministry has been up to this point, hanging with sinners, He's been going to hang out with those that have been cast aside from the rest of the world. Those that the Pharisees would deem as dirty, as unclean. And according to the way the Pharisees understood, if you you hung out with sinners, if you hung out with those that were ceremonial unclean, then you would be unclean. And so here on this day, we see even this leader of the Pharisees has invited Jesus to this meal, and he's dangerous, he's living on the edge, Because if Jesus is unclean, and Jesus comes into their presence, then they potentially could become unclean as well. So in this encounter, this is the third time in the book of Luke that we see Jesus eating with the Pharisees. And on this time, he's eating with a ruler of the Pharisees. But by this time, and we see in this, this encounter, that there was... Huge pride that has welled up inside of the Pharisees. And we see three things that have added to their pride in this passage. There are three aspects of their pride. First, we see the aspect of their pride was disbelief. They had witnessed all the things that Jesus was doing. They saw how he healed people and raised the dead and how he proclaimed about the kingdom of God and, and was able to expound on the Old Testament law and how he had a deep understanding of God's word, but they didn't trust him. They didn't believe that he was the son of God. They did not believe that he was the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And how do we know this? Well, it says here that as they invited him, they were watching him closely. They were watching him closely. It's as though they, they weren't watching him closely so that they could allow his life to influence theirs so they could become more like Jesus. No, more likely they were watching him closely so they could see him slip up, so they could bring an accusation against him. And so they didn't believe that he was the son of God. They didn't believe that he was the one sent from God to save people from their sins. And so they deeply lived in a life of disbelief. They were full of pride. They were full of disbelief. Even though they saw his miracles, they didn't believe. Second, we see in verses 2 and 4 that their lives were full of legalism. See, when this man who had dropsy shows up, now dropsy is an abnormal accumulation of liquid in cells or tissue. It's, it causes usually the person with dropsy to, to swell in specific areas. And so as this, this man comes into their setting, Jesus sees the man with dropsy, and everyone knows that this man has a, um, a terminal health condition. His sickness would have been obvious to everyone. But what's interesting about this is that we don't know how this man shows up. We, we don't know how the man with dropsy is there. We, we have to assume or we, we can not assume that, that maybe he's there as a test. Maybe the Pharisees have allowed this man with dropsy to come in so they can catch Jesus in the act of healing on the Sabbath. Or doing something that was unheard of. Or maybe this man heard that Jesus was there and was coming after him, seeking him. We we don't know exactly why he's there, but while he is there, we see the aspect of pride that comes from legalism inside of the Pharisees. You see, before the healing of this man, Jesus poses this question. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, now we know according to rabbinical regulations, it was not lawful to do that. Now, the rabbinical regulations were part of those 600 other laws that were added to the original Mosaic law that God had given, right? And so, according to their traditions, it was unlawful to do, perform a miracle or to heal on the Sabbath unless the person was in danger of losing their life. Now we know this person was not, this ter- person was terminal, but we don't know if the person was in desperate need of um, healing right then or if it could wait another day. But that's according to rabbinical law. But according to scripture, according to Old Testament law, nowhere in scripture does it forbid healing. It doesn't forbid healing on any day, not even the Sabbath. So it's rabbinical interpretation that has brought about this new law or this new regulation. And here's the thing. Here's the challenge with legalism. Legalism always, always elevates tradition over truth. Right? When you, be, when you start walking down the path of legalism, what it does inside of your heart is it wells up pride. Right? Because it, somehow it sets a standard, a human standard, not a God-given standard, but legalism always sets a human standard. And, it, and it, if you can live your life up to that standard, it wells inside of you a pride saying, look what I did. Look at what I did. I can do this. And if I never heal on the Sabbath, if that's the standard, then I'm good to go. Right? And so that's what they had done in their lives. They, they had said, okay, this is the standard. And they had elevated tradition over truth. Within the question that Jesus now is on the offensive, he's coming at the Pharisees, he asked them this question, right? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. They remained silent. They chose not to answer because they knew that if they said no, they would, be cons- uh, they would be accused of being inhumane and caring, not caring for human suffering. But if they said yes, then they would seem soft on the own laws, the own standard that they had set in their lives, and they would become hypocritical. See, there's so much danger in legalism. You see, I really believe that they also started, the the Pharisees as as a group started with good intentions, right? They started with a desire because they wanted to be close to God. They wanted to follow God. And what they had done over time is they'd forgotten completely about God and just followed a bunch of rituals. You see, rituals a lot of times are easier to do than deepening in a relationship. They didn't want a relationship with the God of the universe. They wanted to have right standing before the God of the universe based on what they did on the outside. So they became legalistic. They became followers of their own standards. And that, well, up pride inside of them. But third, we also see what's happened inside of their pride and, and because of the life they lived is hypocrisy has developed. Verses five and six, we see this hypocrisy when Jesus, says, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? So Jesus is going after them and he's saying, we would all do this, right? If, if we saw someone in need, if you saw your ox in a ditch or you saw your ox in need, would you not immediately go and fix him? It doesn't matter what day it is because that's your property, because you care, because you do that, right? Or what should you be having a son who falls into distress would not immediately go and help them? Jesus, in his argument here, is saying, if you are willing to violate the Sabbath to save an animal, why do you object to the healing of a person on the Sabbath? If it were a child, particularly their own child, would they wait until the Sabbath is over to save them? No, they would immediately move. And so what Jesus is saying is he sees the man in need, right? He knows this man has dropsy and this man is in desperate need and he has care and compassion for him. And in essence, what he's saying is this man is God's child. And that as God's messenger, he's come and he wants to heal this man on the Sabbath, They were outraged at his choice. They were angered by the fact that Jesus pushed back against the regulations that they had developed in their own lives. What's completely ironic about this passage is that the man with dropsy knows that he's sick, he knows that he's in a desperate situation. He knows that if someone or something doesn't intercede, he knows that he's surely going to die. His eyes are open to see his need. But what's ironic is that Jesus, the one who's able to heal, the one that's able to bring life just like that in an instance, is in the presence of these Pharisees, and they're blind to the fact of who's in their presence. They were the ones that were in desperate need of salvation. They were the ones that were in desperate need of healing. They were the ones that needed Jesus in their lives to forgive them of their sins. They were the ones that were truly in desperate need and they couldn't even see it. James, in the book of James, chapter four, verse six, says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to The humble. You see, pride, a a person that's walking in pride has no need for Jesus. A person that has an unrealistic view of themselves or an unrealistic view of their own abilities has no need for Jesus. So the person that's self-sufficient, the person that's self-reliant, the person that is self-made has no need for Jesus. And Jesus has nothing for the person that's full of pride. That pride becomes the barrier that stands in the way from people experiencing the joy of being with Jesus. And this is exactly what where the Pharisees are. So it is possible for someone to be completely religious. It is possible for someone, according to all the world standards, to be a good person and not enjoy the pleasure of being with Jesus because they're full of pride. That's a dangerous place to be. I think the most scariest passage of all scripture is the passage that says, where Jesus looks at the people at the final judgment and says, depart from me, for I do not know you. And they respond, well, Jesus, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not heal in your name? Did we not do this? And Jesus says, depart from me, for I don't know you. It is completely possible to live a good life and miss jesus it's completely possible like i go through my life and i don't i don't see a whole lot of people that are purely evil and purely wicked i see a lot of good people right i i have some good neighbors that that work really really hard at their jobs to try to provide for their families they've got good families they got good jobs they got a good house they everything's good in their lives but many of them don't know jesus and guess what that pride because of the things that they've accomplished in their own lives are keeping them from Jesus. So what is the cure to pride? Humility. And this is what we see. The second truth in this passage today is that humility allows us to enjoy Jesus. Look at me in verse seven. Jesus now walks into, after calling them out, seeing their hypocrisy, seeing the the fact that they say one thing and, and do another, he now moves in and wants to show them the true posture that they're supposed to take. He says, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give up your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit at the lowest place, so that when your host comes in, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." What I love about Jesus here is he's he's not coming at the Pharisees as a way of condemning. He's coming at the Pharisees as a way of hoping to open their eyes because Jesus is always compassionate. Jesus is always full of love. Jesus is always full of care and he knows at the heart of the challenge that is within these Pharisees is pride and he's going right at it. And he says, by giving them example, he, he starts by telling them what not to do. You see, it was part of their culture as it is in our culture, right? We, we're always supposed to strive to be number one, right? We wanna work really, really hard so that we can be the best in our class, so that we can get the best grades, so that when we graduate, we can go get the best job, so that we can live in the best neighborhood, so that we can have the best title, so that we can have the best family. Like We, we understand it's, it's like built into our American fabric, as people, right? It was, the same was true there. Like when they walk into the room, they wanted to be first in line. When they walked into the grocery store, they wanted to be the first one there. When they drove their cars, they didn't drive cars, but imagine they did, right? They wanted to be everywhere first. Everyone else was around them, was a hindrance to them getting where they wanted to go. Anyone else feel that way? Yeah. This is, that's like how the Pharisees were living. Right, wanting to be first. And so what Jesus says, is he gives them this example. He says, when you come in, like don't seek to be first. Put yourself at the bottom. And then when the host comes and they see you, they'll elevate you. For how shameful as it is to, to elevate yourself and then have to eat a piece of humble pie. Right, humble pie is not something that you want to have to eat. But humble pie is something you should rejoice to want to eat. Does that make sense? You don't want to have to be fed humble pie, but you want to eat humble pie. There's a big difference there. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He says, humble yourself. Sit at the lower place. Then you'll be honored. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. I think the most beautiful example of humility is found in Philippians. It's through Jesus' life himself, as Jesus not only calls us to a life of humility, not only humbling ourselves, but He's actually calling us to follow in the, the path that He gave for us. This is what Philippians 2 says. He says, "Do nothing from self-ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves." Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And here's the switch. Having this mind among yourselves, which is in you, in Christ Jesus. Now he's going to go explain Jesus. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus calls us to a life of humility. He calls us to follow in his footsteps. For what did Jesus do? Jesus, who was fully God, who, who at a time in eternity past was constantly being worshipped in heaven forever and ever and ever, knew that he needed to come and save us from our sins. So what did we do? What did he do? Well, we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus takes on flesh and dwells among us. He humbles himself by his complete divine nature, all of his divinity by clothing himself in humanity with limits and limitations and distance and all of that, he takes on humanity. He comes to us not to be exalted. He doesn't come with the fanfare wanting everyone in, in the world to, to see him as king, right? They, they don't want, he doesn't want to be treated while he's here like king but he came to serve. He came specifically to die. He came to die for the sin of the world. Jesus came willingly. Jesus came openly. And this is what we are celebrating as we walk into Holy Week. Right? Today is the, the day that we remember the, the last week in the life of Jesus before his resurrection. Right? We celebrate now on this day, we call it Palm Sunday, as Jesus comes in to the city of Jerusalem for the last time and he's riding a donkey and, and the people see him and they begin praising him and worshiping him. He's saying, Hosanna to God in the highest. They're worshiping him because they want him to be a conquering earthly king. They didn't understand what he was really getting ready to do. He was coming into Jerusalem to go to a cross, to die which is what we're going to be reminded this week on Good Friday. And then next week on Easter Sunday, we're going to be reminded that, yes, his death, Jesus did die, but he did not allow death to overcome him. But because of the Spirit of God and because of the power of God inside of him, because of his sacrifice, God raised him from the dead. And now Jesus is alive. And because Jesus has come to pay the penalty for the sins of the world, he is now highly exalted. And what I love about this passage, it says, there's coming a time so that every, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. See, there's coming a time where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are, everyone's gonna bow their knee before Jesus. Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a king in this life. It doesn't matter if you have $10 billion in this life. It doesn't matter if you've amassed great fortunes or made great monuments to yourself. Every knee is going to bow at the foot of Jesus. Why? Because he is the lamb that was slain to save the world from their sins. And because of his humility, Because of his humiliation, because God hung on a cross, mostly naked, bearing himself before the whole world, taking the sin of the world on himself and enduring the wrath of God, because of that humility, God has exalted him. That at his name, his name alone, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. And so you and I have an option. We can either bow our knee now and receive his forgiveness and receive his mercy and receive his grace and be reconciled to God. If we will humble ourselves at the foot of the cross now, we will be lifted up. But if we refuse to bow in this life, we're going to bow. We're going to bow before our maker. We're going to bow before our savior. And then what's going to happen after we bow our knee is we will go to spend eternity in hell because we refuse to humble ourselves before our savior. I don't know where you're at today, but it all comes down to what you do with Jesus. Either Jesus is savior Or he's not. And if God is true in his word, we either have the option of bowing now or bowing later. And I'll tell you if you choose to bow now, when you bow later, it will be a sweet experience. Because you will be in the presence of your maker. You'll be in the presence of your savior. And at that time when you bow before him, you'll be like, God, you are so worthy. You are so worthy. Thank you for saving me of my sin. But if you choose not to bow now and you bow down in the future, that moment is going to be a moment of sure terror. Because you're going to see you missed it. And Jesus won't be a gentle judge at that time. Jesus will be an exacting judge. So today, if you're here, you can come to Jesus, bow your knee before him by calling on his name and you will be saved. But maybe you're here today and you have bowed your knee, but you've allowed through the course of time for pride to well up again. Maybe just because life's busy, You've stopped pressing into the relationship with Jesus. Right? There, there, there's no barrier now because you've been forgiven. But you've allowed barriers to come back again. You, you've begun to just walk through the motions of being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus. You no longer care about the relationship. You're like, I just got to come to church on Sunday. I got to pay my dues. I got to serve here and I got to do that. And then I'm okay. And you're not living the exciting Christian life that God has for you. On my prayer today is that you would be reminded that all of this is about is a relationship with Jesus. And we have full access to God through faith in Jesus. Let us take advantage of that. Let us just not walk through the motions of the Christian life, but let us press in and not allow our pride to get in the way of him using us. You know, this week is Holy Week. And my prayer is that you find some way in your own personal time or, or maybe together as a family, uh, you spend time preparing yourself for Good Friday and Easter, right? You spend some time walking through the last week of Jesus's life on, on earth before his resurrection. Right? Spend some time walking, walking through those steps as Jesus, every step, as every day became closer, Jesus gave up more and more of his rights to say, not my will, but your will. And maybe maybe this week your prayer is that God would open your eyes to see those that are around you. that He has placed in your life that are waiting for an invitation to come to Jesus. And I tell you what, this is one of those weeks in, in the year that God and his spirit are at work in a mighty way. You have no idea how God is working the lives of your coworkers, your loved ones, your family members. And some of them are just waiting for an invitation from you to come to church. Don't be stingy this week. Keep your eyes. God, help me to have eyes to see and help me to be prepared to be that inviter to the feast. There's enough room at the table. There's enough room at the table for everyone who will believe, but people can't believe unless they hear. And how are they going to hear from you and from me? So this week, I just encourage you. Maybe if you want to, on your way out, grab one of the invitation cards we have. We have the big ones, and then we have some of the little ones. And just pick up three or four of those as just a way of saying between you and God, God, I'm ready. Put people in my path. Maybe today as you go to lunch and you have a server or you have someone working behind the counter, invite that person to come to church next Sunday. And then when they come next Sunday, like have eyes to see that when they come here next Sunday, you immediately go up to them and say, hey, thanks for coming. But man, God is at work. And let's be ready for that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your forgiveness. And Father, we see that there is an opportunity for us to fully enjoy you and to be in your presence. But one of the biggest barriers is pride. So Father, I pray today if there is pride in our hearts, that you would reveal it to us and that we would quickly confess it to you. That we would quickly not only confess it, but that we would repent of that pride. And that we turn back to you, being reminded that all we need is Jesus. We don't need Jesus and anything. We just need you. So Father, would you take the preeminent place in our lives? would would we give You the preeminent place in our minds? Would we give You the preeminent place in our hearts? Would we give You the preeminent place in our home? Would we give You the preeminent place in our marriages? Would we give You the preeminent place in our workplace? Father, would we truly make much of You and less of ourselves. Father, as we sing this song, continue to work in our hearts and help us to respond however you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.